It's mid-June, it's time for War on the Line on the Watercrest Line. Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Welcome to War on the Line 2019, Part 2. This year, the Watercrest Line commemorates the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And with the unexploded bomb team who are going to defuse a bomb. At the moment, they're showing people the tools that they use. Copper-bladed shovels pickaxes to dig down to the bomb very carefully. We're a small group that depicts the work of the bomb disposal organisations during the early 1940s. Why I say that is because much later on in the war, things move on, techniques change. So if you see something or don't see something and want to come and speak to us about it, please do, because it was a very, very, very young service in 1940. They were just formed from tunnelling groups and were feeling their way into this new and very exciting field. OK, of dealing with unexploded ordnance in the middle of towns. OK, so what we're going to do today is we're going to deal with the landmine, an adapted sea mine, and the Navy's going to deal with that. The airdrop ordnance, 250 kilo German bomb, and a tricky little thing called the butterfly bomb, which is a grey one you can see on the back of that fence there. One in the trees, the one we're going to deal with. They do that, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, so no RAF, we've got the Navy, we've got the Army. The reason that he's going now, the reason why the um, RAF are not here is they kept very much to themselves, very much on the airfield. We knew nothing about their bombs, they said, and uh, they came out and dealt with crashed British planes and crashed planes generally. But the Army normally deal with uh, airdrop ordnance of the land type, and the Navy dealt with airdrop ordnance of a sea type, both at sea and on land. So we work mostly with the Navy, but we, neither of us work very closely with the RAF, even though as an organisation, they're younger than the Brownies, and as an organisation, they started as the Royal Engineers, mostly. Okay, and then split off again. They weren't happy staying together. Couldn't even play with themselves. Okay, so, <laughs> so we're going to move on and deal with the land-dropped sea mine. Thank you very much, sir. Now, first of all, I'd like to explain why I'm wearing battle arrest. I usually do this when I'm with ordnance on railway premises, it just saves people being confused and thinking I'm a porter and asking me the time of the next train. <laughs> now, why is the Navy here? Uh, there you've got uh, a parachute mine which is uh, a thousand kilograms of high explosive in an aluminium shell and, and what's it for? Because you can't really aim it at anything because it's dropped out on the aircraft, lands on the parachute, drifts on the wind and so it's not going to be used for knocking out a dockyard or bombing a, a railway line or an armaments factory. What's it for? 
Well, the reason uh, that parachute mine is there is to break the resolve with the British people by denying them housing. Uh, it's a huge explosive force and it will knock out half a street. There's nothing so demoralising we're going coming home from work and finding out half the street's gone, probably with some of your friends and loved ones. So that's what it is. Now, I was in the First World War dealing with sea mines and that's why I've been called back for the Second World War to deal with a parachute mine because a parachute mine is a derivative of a sea mine. Now, what's a sea mine? How does that work? It's dropped from an aircraft, it comes down, it lands in the sea, it's a magnetic mine until a ship goes past, the steel hull sets it off and the ship is either sunk or disabled. Now, they've used the same device, slightly modified, for a parachute mine and that's dropped from an aircraft and lands and it's there to destroy housing. So now the naval officer is going to get to work on the mine. He's using his bronze hammer. He's listening. He's hammering very One, d- two, delicately. Three, the four, clock has started. Five, we have 17 eight, seconds for him to defuse the mine, nine, make it safe. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. <laughs> oh dear. He didn't get it right. There was a thousand kilograms of explosive uh, going up. And landed in an upstairs bedroom, and the officer there was a rating, and he cleared the stairway, had the doorway front open, front door open, so had a clear run out. The officer and the rating ran down the stairs, out the front door, and the officer just jumped over a short wall like that, and the rating ran down the road. But when the bomb went off, the parachute mine went off. The officer got away with cuts and bruises across the wall to the glass. But unfortunately, the racing got 100 yards down the road before he was killed outright. Just the strength of the glass. Okay, so 250 kilos, air dropped ordnance. It's been dropped out of a big plane, it hits the ground, dives in. We've got to go and dig it out. Now, during the Spanish Civil War, the Germans learned that if a bomb didn't go off, it caused much more kerfuffle. Anyway, as much problem as a caravan breaking down on the A31. Yeah, you know how much trouble that causes us all. So they dropped a few bombs that didn't go off quite often so that people were denied shelter and housing in the same way that the landmine denied them shelter and housing. But people weren't going to go tiptoeing around a tickly bomb, so you had to do something about it to get the gas back on, to make sure the factories were reopened, yeah? So what we've got to do, we've got to take one of those two fuses out. Now the middle fuse is a clockwork fuse. It has a capacitor, a battery, and that battery will need to be discharged so that we can convince ourselves that that's not going to go off at any time soon. While that ticks down though, we've got an anti-tamper fuse, which is stopping us 
dealing with the clockwork fuse and taking the bomb away and disposing of it safely somewhere out on Thursday Common somewhere. So the first thing we're going to do is discharge the capacitor in the clockwork fuse using something called a Crabtree discharger. The boffins came up with this, you push it down, it then short circuits the capacitor, drains it over half an hour and stops the clock supposedly. So hopefully we will be putting on the Crabtree. Now, during the Second World War, the Crabtree discharger, a very early war, was used by the bomb disposal teams to do this. It got back to Germany, fifth column and all that, that the guys were doing this. When they then came to press it onto the fuse, it didn't discharge the battery, it made the bomb detonate. Okay, let's hope they haven't got that far yet. So the telephone is not for a conversation about what we're doing after this, it's about telling the safety point what I'm about to do, that I've done it what I'm about to do, that I've done it, what I'm about to do. If we at some point go bang, he'll know what the information is written on top of this fuse, what a stage I got to before we blew ourselves up. They will send that information up to the bomb committee. They will collate all of those reports, look at all of the fuses with the same markings, look where they got to, and then change the procedure for that stage, hopefully. Okay, so very early on, we did know what they said on the top of the fuse but we didn't know what the fuses meant by saying what they said on the top. Okay, right so we're going to put the crab tree on. Down a muddy, cold, wet shaft. We've stopped the trains running, we don't want any vibration for the anti-tamper fuse and we're putting the crab tree very gingerly on. Fortunately it's early war and they don't know about the crab tree and it hasn't gone bang. We wait half an hour, listening to the fuse down this hole. The fuse stops ticking, that's brilliant. We then move on to the anti-tamper. Now the anti-tamper has two cross-linear springs, little springs, very fine springs, with the wire that runs up the center of each spring. Should you bang the bomb in any way, those springs wobble and connect with that center core, and we all say, Good afternoon, St. Peter. Okay, so, locking ring holds the fuse into the body of the bomb. We've got to undo that first. Quite often they jam and they give us tools. Oh, they don't give us a spanner yet, that's later on. They give us, somewhere in here, there's a cold chisel and a big hammer for this anti-tamper fuse. Because we've got to persuade that, but we don't hit it. We don't hit it. What we do is we place it onto it and drop it onto it trying to encourage them to turn. It started to turn. We don't need any more than that. Hold the fuse into the body of the bomb, undo it, take it off, discard it. Now we need to take out the fuse very carefully, without wobbling, without shaking. We take out the fuse. Now putting myself between the fuse and the bomb to hopefully prevent detonation of the bomb still with the fuse out of it. This is as powerful as a hand grenade still and could possibly set off the main charge in the bomb, possibly from the explosion of this game on the bottom. I have to take the game off the fuse. This is a real German fuse. Somebody did this with this fuse a long time ago. So I have to take the gain off. The gain is a very high explosive. It killed me, hopefully with me between the bomb and it, it won't set the bomb off without wobbling it as well. So we unscrew it. It's a very long thread, but steady hand, take away the gain from the little spark. 
Now we don't put it in our pocket with our pipe and our matches, which we haven't got with us anyway. We're not allowed to smoke down that hole apparently. We put it in the disposal area. <laughs> Thought that clock had stopped. <laughs> what they would do now if the clock had stopped, would they would then take the bomb erect shear legs, if you don't want a shear leg is, go and ask the ARP chap with those stripy poles over there. They would take it up the shaft, put it on the back of the lorry, take it out to Thursday Common, some larger area like that, and attach a detonator and uh, some explosives to it and blow the thing up. Okay. Butterfly bomb. So the butterfly bomb is a nasty little piece of kit developed by the Germans as a cluster bomb. Comes out of the canister. It's 50 to 150, anything in between. Flutters down, the wings turn, drop from a specific height so that the little thread there winds out. Four fuses. When that's wound out, you might get air burst, bang. You might get impact, bang. You might get impact to lay, Tick, 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 bang. You might get, it's not gonna go bang. You, you might get um, <laughs> anti-tamper. Now, they're meant for large areas, airfields, battlegrounds, where you want to delay troops, where you want to slow troop movements. First dropped in a little town called Grimsby amongst the civilian population. Up north there, they came out of the shelters. The ones that hadn't gone off, the ones that were dropped to the right height, were set about and people were tripping over them and setting them off. The ones that they didn't find during the raid, straight after the raid and hadn't it set off, the larger casualties amongst the population were not amongst the adult population. Aren't they a toy-like thing? Okay, so the Ministry of Information at the time started publicising in all of the schools with very, very graphic and very gruesome detail why you shouldn't be touching these. How do you deal with them? You can if they're laid on the ground, put sandbags round them, put a bit of string, give them a tug, see if they go. You can put sandbags near them, drag them into the sandbags, protecting your area, minimizing any collateral damage. You can put sand on them and give them a tug. You can hook things up, get string, and try and get them into the sandbag bun. If they're in an area though, where you don't need to worry about the collateral damage such as that tree, there is a simpler method and the officer's gonna send me now I'm not a rifleman, thank you very much, I'm not a rifleman, this is an SMLE 303 rifle used during the Second World War, used during the First World War and what we're going to do is we're going to shoot the uh, thing out of the tree, not a rifleman, so we'll have a go. <laughs> glasses. No I don't need any glasses. <laughs> yeah we're going to do it again. Well, we're trying. <laughs> Does play up yet? Not a rifle. Here we go. Why doesn't that do that? Yeah. There we go. He's being offered a pair of glasses to help him. No, there we go. Right, one more time. Okay, and that's how you would deal with it. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Any questions, do come and see us, but that's our display for today. Thank you. I'm with May Blossom, who's providing the entertainment here. How long have you been doing this for? Oh, more recently, about three years on the 1940s scene. 
And do you enjoy it? I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh, what is there not to love? I'm in uniform, everybody else is dressed up, everybody's having a good time. It's great fun, I love it. Do you do a lot of these events or is it this or just a one-off? Well, if I tell you that I haven't got a free weekend between now and the end of October, that'll tell you I'm quite busy. <laughs> and what do you do when you're not doing this type of thing? Oh, well, I do actually have a full-time job as well. I work as a lecturer at my local university. Have you come far today? From Bedford. That's where I, that's where I live these days. Mm-hmm. Though you probably weren't supposed to say that because we're not allowed to reveal station names uh, or anything. <laughs> or, or mention a Glen Miller connection in any way with Bedford. <laughs> Are you finding the audience appreciative here today? Oh, of course. We had a bit of a jam when the last train pulled in. <laughs> they weren't moving along the station. It's good. <laughs> I love it. We just had two little girls who were, they've been learning some jive dancing in school. So they were dancing along, which is really wonderful to see. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm in the RAF station operations room. Now, why are you having your operations room on a railway station? Well, we have our operations room here purely because although we travel all over the country, we think it's only right that people are aware of what the RAF did during World War II. This year particularly, we're focusing on D-Day, of course, and we're we're interested in explaining what the RAF did that they perhaps didn't know about, in as much as we all know about the gliders that go across, we know about the bombers that go across, but we perhaps don't know about the deceptions. That's all the fake information that we're pumping out to make Germany believe we're taking the shortest route rather than the long route to Normandy. We think it's very important that these valiant people are not forgotten. And the reason and our motivation behind taking the Ops Room is to keep that memory very much alive for everybody and to educate the next generation, of course. How long have you been doing this? As a group, my husband and myself, we've been doing this, I think this is our 13th year. It began as an interest, grew to a hobby, and I'm afraid now it's pretty much an obsession. (laughs) But over the years, we've researched and we've learned so much. And each time that we go out, we we find new information. We've met some wonderful people and we've been to some absolutely amazing places with it over the years. But people never fail to amaze us with the interest that they show in what we actually do. And it's very rewarding. Now, there's a fair amount of chart and tables and whatever that you must bring with you. Do you come a long way? Well, to the railway, we're very local. We we only live at Emsworth, but we do travel across the whole of the south of England with this display. And remarkably, it all fits into one car. It's it's all very much flat pack and everything serves a double purpose in in, in the purpose of that. Um, So it is quite a challenge, but we think it's worthwhile. Well, thank you very much, and it is quite splendid. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio.